Movies and Booze. I'm Moncrief on News Talk. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. 087 106 is our WhatsApp number. Coming to you today from the Limerick Strand Hotel. And we are joined on the stage by Brian Lloyd, Rachel Ryan, and Leslie Williams. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, Good to afternoon. you all. Lovely to have you here. Uh, the, I'm sure, Brian, you're a huge fan of the boxing films, which, uh, one of which you're going to be talking about today. I am. I'm not, that's not even a joke. Like, oh, okay, sorry. I don't know why I'm. <laughs> you were I, trying to be I left funny there. Assumption. No. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought you were a foppish metrosexual, but I take it all back. <laughs> No. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, the fop. But yeah. um, no, God, no. I mean, like, the boxing films. Yeah, yeah. I'm all, I actually do box, like, so, like, that's... Do uh, you? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's, you're you're okay. so surprised. Sorry. Everybody's so surprised. <laughs> yes, what I do, actually. I hit the speed okay. bag. Hands up. Everyone in the audience would have looked at Brian Lloyd and said, there is a boxer. <laughs> that's it. Okay, no one. <laughs> yeah, nobody. But, um, yeah, no, yeah, it's uh, Creed 3, so this is uh, Michael B. Jordan's directorial debut. This is the first of the kind of Rocky slash Creed averse that Sylvester Stallone is not involved with or on screen, and it's because he's having a big powwow with the producers of the whole thing. Because he signed away, essentially, the kind of the rights to the character and he hasn't been getting any money, boo-hoo, and uh, has refused to basically star or participate in any of the films until he gets a few... Oh, right. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Good for him. Fair. No, I mean, good yeah. for him, but I mean, yeah. at the same time, it's like, come on, like, I mean, yeah. do you really need more money? Like, I mean, come on now. It's the principle of the thing. Uh, and uh, Close, what's uh, that's, uh, foreign? Close, yeah, so this is a uh, French-Belgian uh, uh, film that was uh, screened at the Dublin International Film Festival. It's directed by a guy called Lucas Don't. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah. <laughs> I see what it did there. But uh, yeah, no, this is a beautiful um, coming-of-age drama. Kind of getting comparisons to Call Me By Your Name. People might know that the Timothy Chalamet, Army Hammer mm. uh, film from a couple of years back. It's actually reminded me more of After Sun, which is the film that uh, ah, Paul right. Mescal is nominated okay. for. Yeah. yeah. Woo. Go Nortical there. And um, yeah, so it's a really, really beautiful film. Very, very sad, though. So Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Uh, right, Chris Rock is going to be on Netflix this Saturday. Yes, he is. Is this the first time they've done this live event thing on It's Netflix? the first ever live global stream event on Netflix, and it's going to be Chris Rock. And if you'll notice the timing, it's exactly a week before the Oscars. Ooh. A year anniversary since the infamous slap incident with mm. Will Smith. So, uh, actually, Chris Rock's people said it, it was a coincidence, but it's definitely not a coincidence um so yeah so there's a lot of people are saying this is going to be chris rock's big moment to address the slapping incident to say his piece through comedy um because in fairness like he, he never really spoke about it publicly since it happened oh, he kind of kept dumb didn't do the big sit down with oprah didn't you know take to instagram he hasn't said much so i feel like he's been building up to this for a year and it's going to be fireworks i Imagine. If it's live, what time is it on at in Ireland? So it's 3 a.m. <laughs> on, on Sunday morning, if anyone fancies getting up that early. Uh, but it will be available to see the next day. So you yeah. can watch it in your own time yeah. and see what you have to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Leslie. Leslie yes. actually also knows, Tell me. if you are an honorary consul, yeah. 
Uh, you don't get any money, but... You get fantastic parking privileges. I don't pay VRT. There's a bloke on my road. He's the council for Luxembourg, and uh, he has CD on his plates. And this gives you loads of scope. Now, you can get fined, but you're, if you're anyway well in with the ambassador or with the, with the embassy, oh, you, you claim diplomatic immunity and, and you don't pay for your parking so you, Wait, That's the thing. You can really claim yes, diplomatic immunity. I thought yeah. that was just yeah. a thing in lethal weapons. Yeah, yeah. so Lowy could actually kill someone on the way home. <laughs> yeah. You could be mad drunk in the car driving home. Nobody pays for parking around the United Nations building in New York, and it's a massive bone of contention because literally no, everyone has diplomatic immunity and nobody pays for their parking. <laughs> right, so tell us about... Uh, we have a red and a white, and we're just about to sample a Prosecco. Yeah, so we have three wines. That, the, the theme is sort of broadly sort of fruity wines for spring, I think, is kind of that's just okay. my, my interpretation. So we've got a lovely uh, rosé Prosecco, which I'll tell you about in a second, uh, because that's a relatively new concept. Um, only came in about a year or two ago. Um, and then we've got a nice, crispy, zingy, fresh pear-flavoured... Uh, um, Sauvignon Blanc from southwestern France. Not a place you associate with, well, you should in a way associate with Sauvignon Blanc, but I'll, this is from Gascony, which I'll tell you about in a minute. And then uh, finally, a nice uh, fruity Malbec. Everyone in Ireland loves a nice fruity. Okay, fruity lovely. Malbec. And like a, a, a fizzy Prosecco or a fizzy uh, rose Prosecco is a, a new thing. Well, you see, Prosecco, technically, Prosecco is, was, was the original name of the grape that, yeah. that sparkling wine from this Veneto region was made from. Uh, they've changed that name to Glare now to allow Prosecco to be a broader meaning, have a broader meaning, as in just generally sparkling wine made in the Charmat method in this region. And there is like a designated wine region like around the Veneto. Um, and so um, basically in 2020, in October 2020, they decided to introduce the DOC Prosecco Rosé. There had been sparkling pink wines from the region, but they weren't ever called Prosecco um, because ah. they didn't actually have a Prosecco in them. Well, they didn't have enough Prosecco in them. The, so to be Prosecco, you have to be 85% Glera, the original Prosecco grape, and then 15% Pinot Noir, and that gives the colour, um, which is usually... Um, it's just a little bit of colour. As you can see, they're, they're pink and so on. But it has to be Spumante to be... Um, you know, most of the Prosecco we drink is Frizzante, which is only half fizz, which is lower tax. Um, this has to be um, full fizz, um, spumante, uh, and so. But this is actually on deal at the minute for twelve fifty or something. So that's pretty good. Normally, spumante is like about twenty. You know? mm. How do they control the amount of fizz in it? Um, it's it's the amount of sugar in the tank. Okay, basically, you Simple know. It's so that. yeah. So when you're making wine, wine is very easy. If you leave a bucket of grapes in the corner, no, nobody invented wine. If you leave a bucket of grapes in the, wa- in, the in, in a corner, um, the yeast in the air will turn the sugar into alcohol and fizz. And that's why home ah, explodes. Right. So if you eventually, the, that's why man made wine. I mean, God made the grapes, but man made the wine because you've got to step in at some point or the wine will eventually turn to vinegar. Um, but you've got to step in at the right moment when the, the right amount of it has fermented. And so, uh, so to get spumante, you just add a little bit more sugar and higher pressure in the, in the tank, basically, and frizzante a little less. Right, okay. And... Yeah. and- but, like, but, but why is the tax higher, the physics? Um, OK, it's the English's fault, I believe, um, <laughs> as usual. Yeah, um, always is. In the 19th, this is my understanding. Is in the 1970s, they thought, we have an idea, let's make champagne a luxury product. And they increased the tax by 20% or so on sparkling wine. The Irish government saw that and thought, that's a really good idea. Let's just double it. So ever since the 1970s, all sparkling wine is double taxation. So average tax on a regular bottle of wine, about 350, 340 something. Average tax on a bottle of sparkling wine, uh, seven something. Right? So double at 780 or something. Mm. Um, now, they had to say what sparkling wine was because some wines have a tiny bit of fizz in them. So they basically wrote down so many bricks of pressure, in, so many um, p- pounds per pressure, and that defines what's a sparkling wine. Frizzante is just under. 
and so it counts as a still wine. So it's taxed at three fifty as opposed to a sparkling wine taxed at seven eighty. Right, but they don't test it for fizziness. It's just what's written on the bottle. Well, yeah. Well, you, if there's a if there's a if there's a cage on the top of it and so on, then it's yeah. always Spumante. But if it's just like a driven cork or a screw cap, then you're pretty sure it's Frizzante. Okay. So. The Windsor framework won't change any of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Quite possibly. <laughs> no, probably not. I blame you, you Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, we do have to take a commercial break. Back in a couple of minutes. You're my home, bro. You met my family. I put money up for you. Put the gloves on your hands like you had. That's enough, Billy. <laughs> you... You put the gloves on my hands? Oh, homie. <laughs> you must be punchy. Because <laughs> if memory serves, you used to carry my gloves. Get your and get out the gym. Ooh. Okay, that's uh, Creed 3. Uh, Give a round of applause there, uh, Brian. So, the, like, for people who've seen none of these, is it, this is Apollo Creed's son, is it? Yeah. Yeah. From the Rocky movies. From the yeah. Rocky movies, yeah. So the first one was Creed, uh, imaginatively titled. Um, and that's Followed by? Followed by Creed 2. Oh. Followed by Creed yeah. 3. But yeah, no, so the first one, it's essentially set it up that um, <clears throat> Apollo Creed, who was played by Carol Weathers in the original one, that he had an, uh, an illegitimate son, Adonis Creed, and he was adopted by uh, Felicia, Rasha- Felicia Rashad's character. And, you know, he's raised in kind of wealth and privilege and what, what have you, but desperately wants to get into boxing. His mother doesn't want him to do it because, as we know, Apollo Creed died in the ring from Ivan Drago in the fourth one. Mm. Arguably the best one, I would, I would say. But, um, yeah, so the story of, like, the kind of the Creed films, if you like, is, like, Adonis Creed kind of fighting against his own legacy and then eventually embracing it. So, like, the past has always had a big kind of pull on the series, you know, because, like, it's Sylvester Stallone, it's a legacy sequel and all the rest of it. But what's going on in this one is is um, Jonathan Majors, who people will know from Lovecraft Country, that HBO series, and he was in Ant-Man and the Wasp as well. He's, like, big kind of rising star at the moment. He plays this uh, boxer called Dame Anderson, who was a childhood friend of Creed, was sent to prison about 20-odd years ago, and is basically... You know, he had the opportunity to be one of the great boxers of all time, but, you know, was cut short by a long prison sentence. He gets out of prison, is desperate to kind of reclaim where he was. Um, Adonis Creed has now kind of given up boxing. He's now a promoter. Um, And, you know, kind of Dame Anderson sort of leans on their history and says, look, you know, give me a fight, give me a fight. He gets a fight, wins it, but then sort of backstabs him with a little bit of business, kind of shady dealings or whatever. And then... It's up to Adonis Creed to kind of lace up the boxing gloves and get back in the ring and kind of prove that he still has it and sort of make sense of his past with him. Could he not just sue him like everybody else? <laughs> well, mm-hmm. yeah, but, like, I mean, would that be so interesting, you know, yeah, that kind of a suppose, drama? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, they're good, but, like, I mean, how do you put that into a boxing film? But, um, no, I mean, I have to say this is actually quite good because, you know, most boxing films, they generally do tend to be follow them on a very, very strict formula. And mm. I think what's kind of been interesting about the Creed films is that they've leaned into it. They've said, yes, they are. these films are pretty much following a, a, a strict formula, but visually they do try to change it up a bit. And what's going on here is, is Michael B. Jordan, he directed this, and he said that he took inspiration from anime. That, that's Japanese anime. So the fight sequences look unlike any boxing sequence I've ever seen on film. They're very, very literal. Like, for example... 
there's one bit in it where he gets like a really hard uppercut and gets knocked to the ground and he wakes up and the entire audience has just disappeared so it's just the two of them so it's very literal and then there's mm. another bit when they're locked in the boxing ring as it or becomes like a giant cage and they're just trapped inside of it so it's very literal but then again like it's a boxing film they're not you know, subtlety is more kind of out the window, really. Yes. <laughs> but, um, but no, it's very good. Like, I mean, you know, like I said, like Michael B. Jordan, he's, he's directing this, and this is his directorial debut. He does a very, very good job of it, I think, because he takes a very standard script and tries to elevate it with a lot of visuals. I'd be interested to see what he does with something outside of this. I mean, I'd love to see him kind of do, you know, like a psychological thriller or something like that. He could really does have a good sense of visuals, but... Um, this is grand. I mean, it's out of the three, it's it's the most okay of the three. It's like the first one was brilliant, fantastic. Donald Clark uh, gave it five stars in the Irish Times. I think I gave it like four and a half. The second one, three and a half, maybe four. If you're feeling generous, this is very much a three star film. So. Okay, so it's 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 the least good of all those then. Well, yeah. I mean, it's the most okay. There you yeah. go. Yeah, it's I, most I have okay. a set of like pretty formulaic films anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's it. Like, I mean, it's just, it is bogged down by its formula. They just, it doesn't do anything different. I mean, this is essentially just a rethread of Rocky Three, mm. which is the one with uh, Mr. T when he was playing uh, Clubber Lang. And again, it's the idea of like, you know, in that film, Rocky had kind of become civilized and, you know, he'd gotten used to success. And in this one, uh, Adonis Creed has just gotten used to success. He's kind of given up boxing or whatever, but he has to get back into the ring to find his, you know, eye of the tiger or whatever. Yeah, okay. It's you're amazing just, though people you're just glazing over I know, but it. I just—it's amazing that people would just go and pay money to see the same, essentially yeah. the same but film people like, over I mean, and over again. Yeah, but I mean, it's the same with like romantic comedies. You know what I mean? Like people just like comfort. People like a kind of a familiar story. People are prettier in romantic comedies. Though. Well, sure, yeah, but I mean, again, it's the same thing. Like people like familiarity. People don't necessarily like films that kind of upset them in such a way that it doesn't follow a, a set formula. People like patterns, you know? Yeah. People like structuralism. And in, in the Creed movies, is it is it like bloody? Is it in that Up way? Up to a point, kind of yeah. Visceral? I mean, it's like a 12A, I think it is, or something like that. Right. So, like, I mean, it's bloody enough. I mean, it's quite... It's quite intense, I would say that. Mm. It's very, very intense. Like, all of those uh, Creed films are very, very intense. Um, but bloody, no, not necessarily, no. Yeah, okay. You're, you're just so kind I'm, of... I'm so, I'm so, yeah. I'm so <laughs> no, to be fair, that. Like, I mean, these films, they, have a, they do have a huge, huge following. Oh, are, yeah. Oh, no, like, I mean, they're as big as Marvel films, like. And I think, are, they? are they? Oh, yeah, yeah definitely. Okay. In terms of box office, yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. In the US especially, they're, they're very, very big. And, like, it's interesting as well that, like, Michael B. Jordan, you know, he previously starred in Fantastic Four. Like, there is, and obviously Jonathan Majors is in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, so there is a kind of, like, a, a pipeline, if you know what I mean, between boxing films and superhero films. Because it's, a, it's you know, good versus evil, it's battling, it's mm. whatever. They're cheaper as well, aren't they? Because oh, dirt cheap, yeah, yeah. To make, like, boxing films are so cheaper compared to, you know, the big stupid action films, or the big mm. stupid um, Marvel films. They don't even have to spend much on costumes or anything. No, exactly. Pair of, <laughs> pair of trunks and... Yeah, bump. Yeah. 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 They're, uh, Rachel, they're going to make a TV adaptation of Fatal Attraction. Yes. Are you excited by this? I'm, I'm intrigued People by it. People seem excited. Yeah, I'm intrigued. So this is, again, it's a reimagining of Fatal Attraction. Uh, they keep saying this. I don't know what they mean by reimagining. I think it's just the same movie 
in a different time period. Uh, what they say is, is this is going to um, touch on the classic psychosexual thriller and explore marriage and cheating through the lens of modern attitudes towards strong women, right? So I feel like instead of portraying the woman of this as like the bunny boiler, which, you know, we get from Fatal Attraction, maybe they're going to portray her as, you know, just just a strong modern woman who knows what she wants and maybe kind of flip the script on it a little bit. Maybe that's their reimagining of the story. Right. It, okay. have, you, have you seen Fatal Attraction? You, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but it's funny that you've never seen no. it, but you know what a bunny boiler is. So this is what I going to say, right? So it was, uh, it was 1987, I think it came out firstly. I wasn't yeah. born, I have yeah. to say, right? That's no um, excuse. But I... Um, I still... That's a whole new back. That's yeah. no good reason. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, but I do know a lot about it. I know the term bunny boiler I've heard about a lot of the scenes it's just because it's such a part of like culture yeah. movie culture um, so I would be curious to see this one mainly because uh, Joshua Jackson is in this one who you might know as Pacey from Dawson's Creek Sean I'm sure oh yeah of course yeah. Um, and Lizzie Kaplan as well she's in Freaks and Geeks which is a really good TV series so I've watched the trailer for the TV ad- adaptation it's six episodes and I'm in now there was no bunnies in this trailer so ah, I will well, be yeah, they disappointed yeah, they, yeah. it'll be gourmet recipes later on for the, for the rabbit yeah. but she just threw it into a pot the first she one this one, yeah this will have like a fricassee of, of yeah. <laughs> yeah, they'll be eating it before they realise what they it will. is, rather than they just find it in the and pot. And it'll be like fine yeah. dining Michelin star rabbit. Yeah, yeah. yeah, who knows? Or maybe it's a different animal. Yeah, remains to be seen. I'm kind of interested. I, I will be too. Yeah. yeah, like there was a they did um, American Gigolo was turned into a miniseries as oh. well with John Berenthal. Yeah, and that was actually pretty good. It's like you know. The, Glenn Close, who played um, the lead in a Fatal Attraction film, like, I mean, she's talked a lot about that film and basically said that, first of all, the film wouldn't be made nowadays because the fact of it is is that it's just so misogynistic in some parts. And also, mm. as well, is that her character was in the middle of a nervous breakdown when she was going through it. And the original film wasn't sensitive to that at all. And I think in the original one, they, um, if I remember correctly, there, there, was an, there was a version where she didn't die. Oh, yeah, but yeah, the, but yeah. The, but the, but the audience, no, kill her, kill her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, there was a version of it that she... Like, in, te- in te- yeah. like, the all-male test audience. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 But there was, yeah, no, like, there was, an, yeah, there was an alternate ending of it where I think she essentially killed herself and then framed Michael Douglas That's right. for it. Yeah. And, like, the end sequence is, yeah, the cops rocking up to Michael Douglas's house and slapping the cuffs on him and taking away, and that's, like, her final revenge. I'd argue that's the that's better, better ending. <laughs> yeah. That's the better ending, like, yeah. because, like, because in the original film, like, not to spoil it or anything. Well, you're ruining it. Spoiler alert. Well, I'm not going to watch it now. Right, yeah. so, I said, well, it was all a dream. Yeah. No, um, <laughs> she, um, he shoots her, like, he mm-hmm. shoots her in the bathtub, and it's really violent. But it's, but it's yeah. the wife shooter. I think oh, the wife shooter. Sorry, yes, sorry, yeah. yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. yeah, yeah. The wife shoots her in a bathtub, and it's really, like, violent mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. cranking y'all kind of yeah. thing. But, um, I'd be interested. And, like, Lizzie Kaplan, like, I mean, she's a very, very smart actor. She's in that um, Disney Plus series, Fleischman is in Trouble. Yeah. And yeah. she's terrific in that. She is, yeah. And she was in this other series called Masters of Sex, which was about, um, yeah, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's, it's built. Um, but classy filth. Um, but uh, it's all about, like, early kind of trials um, with Kinsey and all the rest of it, like, kind of se- yes, psychology yeah, of sex. Yeah. It's very, very good in it. So I'm interested to see this. Mm. Yeah. 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 Are you, you going to go and watch end. the original? film before you see the it's worth a watch but well, I feel like there's no point now because I know the ending um, <laughs> but I might just to compare uh, and contrast I can lend you a VHS oh you're very sure good <laughs> very good uh, right is, uh, where's Ethna Foley hello Ethna how are you good thanks not too bad uh, 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 how long have you wanted to come to one of these events for 
Oh, a long time. About yeah. how long is it on now? That long, I I, think. I, I don't, yeah. I'm embarrassed to tell you. Exactly. It's, it's, yeah. it's 18 a- or 19 every years. Every Friday I listen to it, yeah. Yeah. And so is it, is it, has, the, has the difficulty for you been that the wheelchair accessibility? Yes, and the strand is perfect. Yeah. Good on it's them. It's ideal, yeah. So just when I heard Limerick, got right on and got the ticket straight away. All right. That's yeah. good to hear. Brilliant, I yeah. don't know if Musgrave Park in Cork is, is wheelchair accessible or not. We can find out in advance. OK. But we've two tickets for you to go and see Paolo Nutini, uh, plus a bottle oh. of wine and a box of M&S oh, chocolates perfect. from today. Okay. Right. Yes, thank you very much. Congratulations. Right. Uh, Texas says uh, Rocky Four is the best one. It's yep. montage heaven. And spoiler alert, Rocky single-handedly dismantled the Soviet Union. Now we need to fly a slice stone out of a cannon in the general direction of the Donbass to sort out the situation. 100%. Yeah. yeah, no, he's right. Whoever that was, they're absolutely yeah. correct. Yeah, yeah. He just takes on international communism and wins. Yeah. America. Easy as that. Right. Uh, we have to take a break. More movies and booze after this. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on Newstalk. Coming to you today from the Limerick Strand Hotel. Right, let's move on to the second wine today, Leslie. Uh, so, uh, last one tonight today is uh, Facon Grabado, which I've actually Googled. Uh, thanks to the, yeah, so it actually <laughs> That's means... Something else. Yeah, no, yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a Malbec from Argentina, uh, 15 euros in Marks and Spencers, um, from Mendoza. But a Facon is a fighting knife. So this means oh. an engraved knife, or, or the decorated fighting knife. That sounds kind of good. Does this make you so Does it cut like a knife? Um, it, it, so it's, it's um, you, Mendoza, right? So you're Andes Mountains. Um, the grape is Malbec, which is originally a Bordeaux grape. You will find it in some Bordeaux wines. Um, it's tra- tra- traditionally found in Cahors in southwest France, but it's never kind of as depth. And it never has the depth and concentration that you get in, in, in Argentina. Now, some of that's to do with clonal selection, um, but um, th- there's just something about that high-altitude vineyard. Sometimes maybe 2,000 uh, metres. I mean, that's really high. The highest, really, in Europe is be, you know, 1,100 or so. Um, so, really, really high up, um, but lots of heat. So, you get really hot days, really cold nights. So, you get loads of fruit concentration in the daytime. The grapes can relax at night, which allows the acidity to, to, to maintain itself. And so, you get sort of round, ripe, sort of uh, licorice, truffle-scented fruits, and then you get... And, and ripeness. But then you've got that lovely sort of freshness in the palate that, that sort of cleans out the palate and makes it just very, very easy to drink. And, uh, I mean, we've all... I mean, I do some work for the Craft Butchers Association, and I've never met a butcher who didn't want to talk to me about how amazing Malbec is because they're all eating it with steak, <laughs> drinking it with steak, and it's just one of those red wines that we have just fallen in love with. It used to be enough to pap that all red-blooded men in Ireland drink. It's now Malbec. Um, mm. and, and there's a reason. It's, it's just so drinkable, and it can be had sort of 14, 15. You can also spend 30, 40 for, for better ones, and it, it, it gets better as you spend up. Um, mm. And uh, it is really Argentina's great gift to the world, along with... Uh, yeah. along with uh, uh, and, and is there much of a difference between your Argentinian Malbec and a Malbec that might be made in Europe? Now, I've, there are, it's interesting because there's some Argentinian winemakers. There's a lot of movement back and forth between them and they have conferences where they meet each other, the guys from Cahors and the guys from, from Argentina. And the Cahors guys are like why can't we get our wines as, as rich as yours? And some of that's climate, and some of it is, is clones, clones, as in the, the different versions that have developed in Argentina and been bred from those clones, and they've developed more. So I do know of a couple of Argentinian winemakers that got a job in Cahors as winemaker, were not happy, and replanted with Argentinian clones, and the wines have got richer and fruitier. So there are really good Cahors ones, um, but they tend to be more... Um, a little more herbal, a little more... Um, what's the word... Um, 
kind of not. I was going to say. Popish metal. I was going to say. I was going to say. What's the more rustic? Shall we say? A little more rustic. But having said that, there are some excellent ones, and so it can be really good. And there's one Shattered to Cedra is really good, and I think actually Marcus Spencer's have a cohort as well, which is which is pretty good. So, but the Argentina just seems to have that combination of the heat, which brings the richness, and the cold, which brings the freshness. And I'm a fan. I mean, I don't drink it all the time because it can be quite rich but actually this is a very relatively yes it is it's very young it's kind of chocolatey is that it's really typical actually because the vines in Argentina originally have come from France well the original cuttings came from France yeah but then over time clones and vines can be quite um, susceptible to mutating and so I mean Malbec a little less than others when Pinot Noir is a devil for mutating and you just get different versions all the time but they can, you can also kind of develop clone. You can you know, cross one really rich producing clone with one that's maybe more, um, you know, more elegant or something, and then you can kind of you know, get hybrid versions because they're all... I mean, I know it's the same vine, but there are different versions of it, if you know what I mean. Um, mm, mm. So and clonal selection is one of those things we, we, we fret about, you know, um, yeah. or wine people fret about. But I would imagine the people who are making it in Argentina don't really kind of want to share all their secrets with the people making it in Cahors. Well, but, well, you know, actually, well, they're, they're fairly confident themselves at this stage. Mm. Cahors. Well, Cahors is interesting because, I mean, Cahors was a massive, massive producer. Bordeaux got to be rich from charging the people from Cahors to sell their wine because, you see, Cahors people couldn't... There was no railway, so how do you sell your wine? You get it to the, to the um, coast, and then Bordeaux was, yeah, but you've got to pay a few quid now to get the wine through here. So, um, and then in, a couple of things happened. There was phylloxera in the 1870s, and prior to that, in the 1830s, there was the oidium uh, mildew ex- epidemic, which just wiped out the region, and so you went from... Okay, I don't know the exact figures, but let's say you went from 100,000 hectares down to about 5,000 hectares. It's, it's, that's not the figure, but it's, it's along those lines, like decimated the region. And so Cahors is actually quite a small region now, so there's a lot of land that was previously cultivated that isn't anymore and so on, and so you're just left with a few high-quality producers. And look, it's, it's coming back, but I mean, I doubt many people have actually even heard of Cahors. I mean, it's a mm. pretty town in the Dordogne, as most people think of it. They don't really think of it as a, as a wine region. Um, in Ireland, as I say, there's, there's about three or four good ones that I can think of. Um, um, but um, yeah, I mean, Argentina just really has just stolen the march, and they are the best. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I'm a Francophile, but I'm sorry, the Argentine yeah. Malbec's better. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, where's uh, Grogno O'Dwyer? Grogno O'Dwyer, very popular with the audience today. <laughs> I, are, you, are, are you having a special day today? Well, it's tomorrow. It's boss. tomorrow. Thank you. Yes, it's your birthday tomorrow. It is indeed. Yeah, and I, what have you got planned? Well, I was going out for dinner, but these people, girls, took my reservation. So, <laughs> but I'll make, I'll make do. I'll go somewhere else. Okay. Why did they take your reservation? They didn't know it was my birthday. What? I know. It's just so what? mean. It's just so mean. And, and, and these women are all your friends? No. No. No, they're not. Did you just meet them on the way no, in? No, but I'm here with my sisters. So right, OK. Good. Did they know it was your birthday they tomorrow? All right, OK. That's, that's, uh, so have you, sisters, have you had any surprises planned? Yes. Yes? OK. Desperately, you've, you've got 12 hours to come up with a surprise. Exactly. I think we have a bottle of fizz for you anyway, Grania. Oh, Happy birthday so tomorrow. Thank oh. you. Well done. your daughter there on her birthday. Right. Um, now, explain this. 
Lady Gaga's dog, the woman who kidnapped Lady Gaga's dog is now suing <laughs> Lady Gaga. This is one of my favorite stories of the year. Okay. Okay, so to recap, you might remember a couple of years ago, uh, someone kidnapped Lady Gaga's dogs, mm. Gustav and Koji. And like, it was pretty serious in fairness. Um, her dog walker was injured while they were being stolen. He was actually shot and he was in hospital for a while. So when they were appealing for the dogs to be brought back, Lady Gaga said, if someone brings the dogs back, I will give you $500,000, no questions asked. Wow. Pretty decent, okay. So a woman called Jennifer McBride brought the dogs back a couple of days later. And at the time, they didn't think she had anything to do with the dog napping. Uh, but it turns out she actually did. So five people were charged with the whole incident, uh, including her. So she got, I think, two years in prison. So, you know, she's serving her time. But this week, she's decided she's actually going to sue Lady Gaga for fraud because she brought back her dogs, but she never got her reward. Oh. <laughs> and she's saying that this is, you know, she was uh, misrepresenting the truth that and she's doing her for fraud. So she wants her money. She says it caused her great upset and um, she feels very unwell because she never got her reward for bringing back the stolen dogs that she had a hand in. Okay. So, now Lady Gaga... So she felt upset and unwell while she was in prison doing time for a crime. <laughs> yeah, that probably, yeah, that probably didn't that help. Um, but yeah, Lady Gaga didn't... Uh, sorry, loss of enjoyment of life, I believe, is exactly what she said. Possibly okay. because she's in prison. Um, but yeah, Lady Gaga, funnily enough, hasn't commented on this. But it's an official lawsuit. It's been filed. I don't, th I don't <laughs> think she's going to get very far. <laughs> <laughs> That's gas. Let's move on to the second, our th uh, second film of the day. It is Close. Here's a clip. Right, so for the non-French speaking uh, listeners, that was a, that was a, a vivid sex scene involving a car. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jesus. Was there like, a sucking involved? No. <laughs> they're God, eating, man. They're eating spaghetti. That's, that's all that was happening there. Right, so uh, it's obviously in French. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, French-Belgian, actually, to be precise. French-Belgian-Dutch, right. actually, to put a third one on it. Yeah. So this is uh, directed by Lucas Daunt, who was actually over in Dublin um, earlier in the week when he premiered this film at the Dublin International Film Festival. It went down very, very well. Um, this is a really interesting uh, story in the sense of, you know, there's one thing about European cinema that it does really well is, is that it really tackles, like, thorny, sensitive subjects and just goes right for the jugular. It doesn't bother trying to kind of gussy it up or kind of come at it sideways the way that kind of some American films tend to do. They really just go for it. Like, there was a film last year called Happening, which is directed by Audrey Dewan, and it was uh, about, basically, a young French student uh, trying to procure an abortion. And the ending of it is very, very graphic. Mm. Um, and that's set in the 1960s. Yeah, it was set in the 1960s, yeah, yeah, of course, when, when abortion was illegal yeah. in France and all the rest of it, yeah. But, I mean, it was an incredible film, like, because it was just so down the line yeah. about it. In this, 
What's going on is you see you, the two kids there, uh, Leo and Remy, played by newcomers Eden Dambreen and Gustave de Whale. Um, they have a very, very close relationship because obviously that's where the name of the film comes from. But that it's very, it's very intimate. Like they sleep together in the same bed. They're constantly beside each other and all the rest of it. They're 13 years old. They live this very kind of idyllic bohemian lives. You know, their parents are farm workers and all the rest of it. And they get sent to high school. And then, of course, when they get sent to high school, their kids around them start to look at them and say oh are you are you gay and they don't understand this at all because they've never had to kind of reckon with other people's perception like their parents never it's never even mentioned by their parents that they may or may not be gay and to be fair as well the film never makes it explicit either like you mm. don't actually know by the end of it whether they were going to and it doesn't really matter because exactly yeah because the, first of all i mean who cares but second of all like their kids so like their personalities their their lives are still developing their identities are still developing so it doesn't really matter um but what happens anyway is, is that when they're in high school, the uh, young lad Leo basically is subjected to a couple of homophobic slurs and a few comments about it. And he decides then that, no, actually, he realises then through the kind of the, the morass of people around him that to be gay is to be a bad thing. And then he decides, right, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to keep away from Remy because I don't want people questioning it. And he, you know, joins the ice hockey team and he starts palling around with all the sporty lads while Remy very much kind of wilts. And then something happens, and I'm not going to give it away, but mm. you can kind of guess what happens. And then the film takes a very sharp turn into this tragedy, essentially. I mean, the whole film starts off beautiful. Like, it's gorgeous, it's lovely in summer. They're running around having a great time. Everyone's laughing. You see it there, they're eating the spaghetti and they're making funny faces and all the rest of it. But when they hit school, then you can see that other people's perceptions drives this wedge between them and the judgments of other people drives this wedge between them. And the kids are like, you know, like, again, like, it's never explicit. It never needs to be explicit. It's all just kind of lives in that sort of, who cares, really? Like, do we need mm. to kind of put labels on things? Who cares about labels, you know? Um, but the child actors are, are incredible. Like, they give this really depth, uh, performance of depth and reality. And, like... You know, a lot of scenes, it just kind of peters out. It doesn't have to be, like, stop on a line or whatever, you know? And the way that Lucas Dunn kind of positions the camera as well, like, it's always up close in their face so that you're seeing every single emotion run through their eyes, you know? Um, but this is brilliant. This is so heartbreaking and beautiful and, and, and terrifying. By the end of it, you just want to pull your hair out from how angry it would make you, you know? God. Um, is, but it's, is this in cinemas? It is in cinemas, yeah. Like, I think you would see it in kind of, like, um, smaller yeah. cinemas. So, like, up in Dublin, it would be the IFI. If it was in Cork, it would be the Triscoll Arts Centre. I presume a cinema here in cinema has it. I would imagine it does. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, this is absolutely worth watching. It'll be on Mubi as well, which is the um, streaming service. It'll be on that, I think... I want to say the end of next month. Okay. Don't call me on that, yeah. but it's absolutely worth the watch. Yeah. yeah. Very sad, though. Very sad. Very, very sad. But beautiful. Like, yeah. it's worth watching. Like, yeah, don't let that put you off. Like, it's yeah. not gratuitous. Like, it's not emotionally manipulative, but it's absolutely worth watching. So please, 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 if you have the opportunity to see it and you're in the mood for it, give it a go. Okay. Is it on movie? I saw that. Yeah, it's on movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. movie. Yeah. yeah, but like I said, uh, go see it in the cinema. It's worth sure. seeing it in the cinema. Rachel, you have to lift the mood by letting everybody know who won this year's best celebrity mullet. Oh, do you have any guesses? Paul Meskel? Yeah. I think he should have, but no, actually it was Rod Stewart. A bit of a classic. Oh, yeah. Would we agree with that? Yeah. Uh, 
He yeah. still has a mullet, yeah? Yeah, he still has but it. He, has, he also up in the air, though. Nah, he kind of, yeah. yeah. He mooches around with different styles, I, I suppose. Know. He also uses mayonnaise in his hair. What? To keep it in place, so I believe. Yeah. Also, apparently people at mullets have more fun. A new study well, has been brought that's out. That's what he says. Party yeah. at the, what is it? Party at the back, business at the front. Like, yeah. That's well, like, yeah. he can afford the pills. Uh, <laughs> right. uh, thanks. Uh, that's our, all our time for today, I'm afraid. Uh, thanks to Leslie and, uh, and Brian and to, to Rachel on the stage. Thanks, of course, to the Limerick Strand Hotel and Marks and & Spencers and our production team today, Byron Callaghan, David Slevin, Seifer O'Donovan, Rachel Hogan, uh, Josh Maher, Jack Lawler, Cahill O'Sullivan, Dara Faulkner, Claire Collins and Ashling Moore. Uh, we had... Uh, Kieran's up next on News Talk. We'll leave you now with Emma Langford playing out with Birdsong.